The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Oh, man. How many of you have seen the movie The Notebook? Raise your hand. Okay. How many of you guys say, I will never see that movie? Um, anyway, hey, before, before we jump in uh, to uh, that movie and uh, this message, uh, I want to go ahead and just kind of plug the next series that we start uh, beginning next Sunday. It's in your, uh, in your bulletin today. Uh, there's a little uh, summer reading sheet, little summer reading list. Uh, there's a series we start next Sunday. We've been doing this for a few years as well, uh, a summer series called uh, Summer Reading. And uh, I know some of you, raise your hand if you're a reader. You enjoy reading. You like to read. Okay, we've got a lot of readers here at Coastal. Uh, how many of you made a promise, a vow to God that when you got out of school, high school, or college, you would never read again? And you, okay, some of you are not readers. Uh, but at Coastal, uh, we like to say that leaders are what? Leaders are readers. Okay. And so similarly to uh, at the movies where we are using, instead of a movie, uh, we're using a book. Uh, as just a springboard, a hook uh, to talk about spiritual truth. And then the subject matter for each one of those books I will use as the subject matter for my message. Now, don't worry. You know, it's not like we're, you know, telling you to read another, you know, book other than the Bible. I'm going to be preaching from something else other than the Bible. That's not what it is. These are just great books. They're worth reading. And then we're going to point you to Jesus and to spiritual truth. And uh, so here's the list of books. And uh, we actually have a small number of those books in the back, and it really is just first come, first serve, because we're not going to refill this. Like, you're big boys and big girls, and uh, you know how to order things online and download things in your Kindle, and, uh, but just to kind of, for those of you who'd like to, first come, first serve, there's books back there in the back. Ashley will be back there at the end of both services today, and I think we have like 30 copies of each book, and we're selling them for like $5 a book, and so we're making no money, uh, maybe even losing a little bit of money, uh, but then the list here uh, shows you uh, the weeks of that the, the the order of the books, how it's going to go, and which week we're going to do which, which book. And uh, anyway, these are great books; they're definitely worth reading. Uh, next Sunday's book uh, to kick off the series is "The Prodigal God" by Tim Keller, and uh, it's a great, great book. Definitely worth the read. So pick those up. Uh, we're excited about uh, finishing out the summer, reading some good books together, and pointing people to Jesus as always. Now back to at the movies, back to the Notebook. Uh, without a doubt, that movie. Uh, based on the book by Nicholas Sparks, uh, has become one of the top romantic chick flicks of all time. No matter who you talk to, if you ask them to make a list of the sappiest, I mean the greatest romantic uh, chick flicks, the notebook is definitely on that list. And what makes that even more true for us here uh, in the low country uh, is that most of the movie was filmed right here. Uh, between Seabrook and Wadmalaw and Boone Hall and lots of places. You'll recognize lots of things here in the Lowcountry. Nicholas Sparks himself said this about the story. He said, It is a metaphor for God's love for us all. The theme is everlasting, unconditional love. And it goes into the sanctity of marriage and the beauty that you can find in a loving relationship. So that's from the author of the book, the story from which the movie is based on. And uh, that's what I want us to talk about today. Uh, I want us to talk about forever love, lasting love. And uh, I want us to look at a piece of scripture that comes from what many people, myself included, uh, consider to be probably the best book in the Bible on romantic love, the Song of Solomon. 
And uh, it's a story of a man and a woman, their love, their courtship, uh, their marriage, and they describe in intimate detail the feelings that they share for each other, their longing to be together. Now, over the years, there's been a lot of debate about uh, the meaning of this particular book. Uh, some people say it's just an allegory of God's love for Israel and or the church, and then other people say it's, it's a literal story about married love. Uh, I think it's both. Uh, on one level, we learn about love and marriage and sex, and then on a whole other level, we see God's overwhelming love for his people, for you and me. So it's a beautiful book. I would encourage you uh, to go home and read it. And I want to just look at one particular passage from Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verses 6 through 7. It's on your outline, and it's on the screen. This is the wife speaking to her husband, and she says this, "'Place me like a seal over your heart, like a seal on your arm, for love is as strong as death, its jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Many waters cannot quench love.' Rivers cannot wash it away. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. Uh, In those two verses, I want us to take a look at some of the characteristics of lasting forever love. And uh, if you're married today, this is going to help you to create um, a a marriage that will last for a lifetime. Uh, Number one, if you're taking notes, married love is possessive. This forever lasting love, the way married love is supposed to be, it is possessive. Uh, The word that's used there to describe the word seal in verse 6, where he said, place me like a seal over your heart. Uh, In the Bible, a seal signified identity and possession. You know, today when you enter into a contract with somebody, when you sign a check, you place your signature, right, on the bottom line, on the dotted line. Uh, But in the Bible times, they used a seal uh, many times instead of a signature. Uh, They would take a soft piece of wax and they would type, uh, get a type of stamp and they would seal the deal with it, so to speak. And so that seal signifying that this is mine. I am, I'm lending my identity to it. And so in verse six, this is the wife saying, I want to place your identity as a seal on my heart. So first of all, a seal means that you belong to me. You belong to me. In other words, you are in my heart and I am in your heart. Now guys, let me tell you what that means for you and I today uh, in a relationship, in in a marriage. That means that there should be no other human being on earth who occupies a higher place in your heart than your wife does, than your your husband does. Uh, There should be no other female on the face of the planet to whom you give more emotional energy, physical energy, time, or talk than with your wife. Husbands, your, your wife needs to know that she occupies the prime position in your heart. She needs to know that she is more important to you than your career, than your hobbies, you need to place a seal over her heart that has your signature on it. And it says, you are mine and I am yours. Verse six also talks about love being a a jealous fire. Husbands, did you know that you're, you're to be jealous for your wife? 
You say, no, no, Pastor Chris, you know, she doesn't like it when I get jealous. I'm not talking about being jealous of your wife. I'm, talking about, I'm not talking about envy. I'm talking about being jealous for your wife. To be jealous for your wife means that you don't want any other man in her life who has more of her emotional attention than you do. You know, when we, when we talk about uh, being unfaithful, we tend to talk about physical adultery. But did you know that it's possible to be emotionally unfaithful to your husband, to your wife? You know, maybe there's somebody at work that you give more of your emotional energy to, more of your conversational energy to than you do to your husband or to your wife. Listen, that is borderline and possibly is being unfaithful. You've got to place a seal over the heart of your spouse that says, you are mine and I am yours. A seal also means and signifies that you will fight for your spouse. You will fight for this relationship. Notice this verse mentions not only a seal over your heart, but a seal uh, on your arm, on your arm. The arm speaks of strength. Now guys, I have no doubt that if someone were to threaten uh, your wife or, or mouth off at your wife, that every man, every husband in this room would stand up and say, hey, I would fight for my wife. I will do whatever it takes to defend my wife. But let's face it, guys, seldom, if ever, are you called upon to physically fight for your wife. But let me ask you this. How serious are you about fighting for your marriage? Because, men, we do have an adversary. We have an enemy who is out to destroy your marriage and destroy your family. Ephesians 6.12 says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. In other words, there is a devil, and he has demons, and I promise you that on the authority of the word of God, that he is trying to divide and destroy your marriage, your family. For every single person in this room, that's true. And that's what we ought to get mad about. That's what we ought to get angry about. Angry enough to say, you know what? I am going to fight for my marriage. I'm going I'm to fight the devil with every bit of energy and strength that God gives me. Listen, the family is under attack today. And we need some warrior men who will rise up and say, I will fight for my marriage. 1 Corinthians 6.13 says, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and act like men. Be strong. So men, are you strong? You say, well, you know, what kind of strength is he talking about? Well, let me tell you what he's not talking about, okay? He's not talking about how much you can bench at the gym. You know, what, what does he mean? What is he talking about? You know, act like a man, be strong. I love what the Apostle John says. I think he gives us a big clue in 1 John 2.14 about the strength that he's talking about for men to have. He says, I have written to you, fathers, because you know him. You know him who has been from the beginning. In other words, you have a personal, intimate relationship with him. I've written to you, young men, because you are what? You are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So what does it mean to be strong? It means that our strength to fight for our marriage, our strength to be the, the leader that God wants us to be, to overcome the evil one, 
It is directly connected to whether or not the Word of God is abiding in you. Has, has a residence in you. Feels comfortable in, in your life. So let me encourage you today, men... Be strong in the Word of God. Spend time with God every day and use that strength to fight for your home. Use that strength to fight for your family, to fight for your marriage. Paul said, finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. Now, not only is this forever uh, lasting love uh, possessive, But number two, it's also permanent. It's permanent. That's God's intention for marriage. It's not temporary. People often say, well, you know, I don't love her anymore. I don't love him anymore. As if love is some intangible feeling that you don't have control over. Listen, love is not an emotional spasm that runs up and down your spine. Feelings of affection, they come and go. I mean, sometimes, you know, daily, sometimes hourly. But according to the Bible, love is permanent because it's a choice that you and I make. Look at verse 6 again. For love is as strong as death. It's jealousy unyielding as the grave. It burns like a blazing fire, like a mighty flame. Three pictures there that I don't want you to miss. First of all, this forever marital love, it is as strong as death. Once death grabs somebody, that is it. You don't come back, at least not in the natural. Spiritually, those who die in the Lord are going to live forever with Christ. But in this world, when a person dies, it's permanent. And so the Bible is saying that married love is as strong and as permanent as death. And then get this, marital love is as strong as hell. I know some of you are thinking, well, I feel like I am in hell. No, okay, that's that's not the picture here, okay? You say, well, Chris, I don't read the word hell there. Well, see where it says unyielding as the grave. The word translated grave in in Hebrew is sheol, which is often translated in the Old Testament as hell. Once somebody is in hell, you are there forever. And so the permanence of hell, the permanence of it, is the picture here of the permanence of married love. You know, that means that when I do a marriage ceremony and I turn to the groom and I say, do you promise that you're going to love her for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health until death do you part? If that groom turns to me and says, like hell I will, okay, now theologically that's a biblical statement. It might, you know disrupt the ceremony a little bit, but he's actually got some truth there. Because the Bible says that married love is as strong as hell. That's exactly what this verse means. Thirdly, marital love is as strong as the fire of God. That, that mighty flame there that's mentioned at the end of verse 6, not talking about just any old fire. Uh, the Hebrew word that's used there to describe uh, that the flame of God, the mighty flame, is a reference to the flame on the altar in the tabernacle. And uh, if you know anything about you know, Jewish history, uh, biblical history, it was a flame that was to never be extinguished because it was the fire of God. Husbands and wives, that means that your commitment, your love to your spouse ought to be as strong as God's commitment 
to you. And what does God say? Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to what? Separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Psalm 2710 says, Even if my father and mother abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. In other words, even if the closest people on the planet leave you, forsake you, God says, I will never abandon you. In Hebrews 13, 5, he said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. That, that's the kind of unbreakable commitment that he is calling us to have for each other in marriage. A kind of love that lasts. In fact, that leads us right to the third characteristic of this love. It's possessive, it's permanent, it's also persevering. It's persevering. In other words, it's a stubborn kind of love. It just hangs in there. It doesn't quit. Verse 7 says, many waters cannot quench love. Rivers cannot wash it away. The word quench in that verse is the word that means to, to extinguish a fire. And so the Bible is saying that true, forever marital love cannot be extinguished. And yet we hear people say all the time, the fire has gone out. I just don't love him anymore. I don't love her anymore. Can I be honest with you for a second today? So what? So what? You see, the problem is, is with our word love. What you're really saying is, I don't feel anything for you anymore. The feelings are gone. But love's not a feeling. You know, when, when the Bible uses when the Bible describes the kind of love that we are to have for our spouse, it uses the word agape, which is this unselfish kind of love. In fact, here's God's definition of love. 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In other words, that kind of love never ends. So when a husband says to me, well, I'm sorry, Pastor Chris, but I just don't love her anymore. I say, We'll start loving her again. Because love's not a feeling. It's a choice. It's an act of the will. Love bears, believes, hopes, endures all things. You know, sometimes we might not feel very loving toward our spouse. But we can still choose to love them. We don't always like what they're doing, or we may not like how they're acting but we can still choose to keep loving them. You don't fall in love. You fall in a ditch, okay? You don't fall out of, a, out of love. You fall out of trees, okay? Love's a choice. And you and I can choose to do anything with the power of Jesus Christ. Look at some of the words that tell us what love is like here in marriage in, in this passage. Uh, first of all, real love is patient. It's patient. 
Long-suffering is the idea. Long-tempered. Proverbs 14, 29 says, A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays folly, foolishness. That's a great description of this word here, patience. It conveys this idea of being slow to get angry, having a very long fuse and a very short memory. Problem is, though, many times we get that turned around, don't we? We have a short fuse, a long memory. The word literally means wrath that is put far, far away. Patient people are hard to provoke. They can endure a lot before they lose it. Secondly, real love is polite. It's that idea of it being kind. I think a lot of marriages today, some of your marriages, they just need a good old-fashioned infusion of kindness. Husbands and wives, do you remember how you treated each other when you first met and you first started dating? Guys, you remember how you opened the door for her? You maybe even pulled out her chair. Remember all the really sweet nothings you used to say to her, the little complimentary things? That's a part of Kindness. Guys, your wife still needs to hear those things from you. If you spent more time courting your wife, there's the less chance you'll be in court with your wife. <laughs> so let me help you out. You know, if you have your Bibles, later on today you can flip back to chapter 4 of Song of Solomon. This is great stuff and a uh, little helpful advice here on how to romance and uh, speak complimentary and kindly towards your wife. Uh, chapter 3 of Song of Solomon is their wedding, but chapter 4 uh, is their honeymoon night. And uh, so when these words are being said, it, you know, it's like they're at the Charleston Place Hotel you know, on, on their honeymoon. They're at you know, wherever. So guys, here's how to be romantic towards your wife. Now again, obviously you just need to modernize these words a little bit, but uh, I think you'll get the picture. Verse one of chapter four, how beautiful you are, my darling. Again, this is the guy speaking here. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats. Now, okay, hold on now. He doesn't say your hair looks like a goat or your, you know, the, the hair on your back is like a goat or, no, 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 okay. He says your hair is like a flock of goats descending from Mount Gilead. Now, you need to understand that Jewish women in those days, they kind of most of the time wore their hair up or covered and seldom, you know, displayed it, but they would let it down for their husband. So she's here, you know, letting her hair down, and as it cascades down, you know, he says, it's like a flock of goats descending from the mountain. And then verse two, I love this. Your teeth are like a flock of sheep just shorn coming up from the washing. Have you ever seen um, a shorn sheep? Um, one that's just had all the wool sheared off. What he's, what he's trying to get at here, and again, again, picture for the day, you know, that uh, you know, the sheep, his skin is smooth and clean. He's saying there's no food in her teeth, you know. Her mouth is clean. But what's funny, he keeps talking about her teeth. Listen to this. Each has its twin. None of them is alone. That means she's not from Tennessee, okay? So, you know, she's not a snaggletooth. Now, again, I, I know we laugh, but this is good stuff. If you understood the times, this is very romantic. 
Uh, verse 3, your lips are like a scarlet ribbon. Your mouth is lovely. Your temples behind your veil are like the halves of a pomegranate. So, again, he starts with her, her hair and her eyes and her teeth, and, and she's smiling. This is her honeymoon. He's, he's making her way down. Uh, verse 4, your neck is like the Tower of David, built with elegance. On it hang a thousand shields, all of them shields of warriors. Maybe, you know, maybe he's given her a, a, a necklace, and then he's describing it there. And uh, verse 5, your two breasts are like two fawns, like twin fawns of a gazelle that browse among the lilies. In other words, they, oh, that's, this is good, good. Um, verse seven, 6 and 7, until the day breaks and the shadows flee, I will go to the mountain of myrrh and the hill of incense. He says, we're going to go all night long, basically, is what he's saying here, okay. Like, yeah, this is their honeymoon, this is good stuff. All beautiful you are, my darling. There is no flaw in you. Now, does any person in this room honestly believe that truthfully she's without any flaws, you know, whatsoever? Of course, of course she has flaws. We all have flaws. But when he looked at her, he didn't see any. You know what that means? You know what that conveys? Kindness. That means that we ought to be that way. We ought to be that way toward our spouse. Guys, you need to take this chapter tonight, go home and update it and, and, and run with it, okay? Number three, real love is pardoning. In other words, it, it forgives. You know, that's what 1 Corinthians 13 is describing when it says it's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. That's an accounting term there. So the idea is that love doesn't add up and itemize all the you know, the failures and the mistakes of, of others. In fact, if you, do you want a prescription for becoming, you know, mentally deranged? Refuse to forgive and hold everything that's been done to you. Um, hold on to it. Man, that is a surefire way not only to drive yourself crazy, but to destroy your marriage and destroy yourself. Number four, real love is protective. Verse seven says, love always protects. You know, in, in Jewish weddings in that day, the groom didn't, um, bride and groom didn't exchange rings. The groom would take off his outer garment, his cloak, and he would cover the shoulders of his bride. It was symbolic of covering her with his protection. Um, you know, it should go without saying that we are to protect our spouse, not hurt them. Physical abuse is never acceptable. And if you're experiencing that, you need to get out and get out now. But, but even beyond that, you know, we should be protecting our spouses verbally and emotionally as well. He, Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words would be an encouragement to those who hear them. Number five, real love is also persistent. I love this. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. In other words, it never stops. Rivers can't wash it away, it says. Waters can't, uh, can't quench it. Love doesn't stop loving. It never gives up. So the love that lasts a lifetime, this description of beautiful, lasting, marital love, it is possessive, it's permanent, it's persevering, and one more, it's precious. 
Look at the last part of verse 7. It's precious. If one were to give all the wealth of his house for love, it would be utterly scorned. In other words, there's no price tag that you can put on love, especially the love between a husband and a wife. Husbands, what if somebody came up to you and said, I'll give you $500 if you divorce your wife? You'd laugh, right? But what if they said, I'll give you $500 million if you divorce your wife? Your wife is saying, take the money, you idiot. No, um, we'll work it out later. You know, you are coming up with some kind of plan, you know. But what, you know, if you have the kind of love for your wife that the Bible is talking about here, in other words, he's saying, basically, you would look at that person and say, you fool, how dare you reduce something so precious and so wonderful to a dollar amount? It is priceless. There's no price tag you could put on this kind of love and the kind of commitment that we have. That's the point that Solomon is making. There's nothing more precious than that. I want to close by by saying this. The best thing that you can do for your marriage is open up your life to Jesus. You know, if you want a strong marriage, be a godly man. Be a godly woman. How do you do that? You first open up your life to Jesus. You open up your life to him. And then you commit your life and your marriage to Christ. I would also encourage you today to truly get involved in community at a church like this where you can be involved in ministry and be involved in in groups where you're going to get the support that you need and the encouragement that you need, and the information and the instruction that you need. Listen, it takes three to make a marriage stand. Not two, three. You, your spouse, and the Lord Jesus Christ. God never meant for us to go through our marriage all alone, just just the two of you. Marriage is a three-legged stool. It takes three legs for stability. You don't see a a two-legged stool a two-legged stool will just fall over. And if you've got, and if all you've got in your marriage is just each other, eventually that's not enough. You know, we, we live here in Charleston, in uh, hurricane country, and uh, we know that if you don't have a strong foundation, that when the storm comes, when the hurricane comes, you're going to have major problems, can completely collapse. In the same way, your marriage has got to have a strong foundation because you will face a lot of storms in life. You're going to have some health storms, some financial storms, some emotional storms. You're going to have all different kinds of problems and stresses and hurricanes in your life. And if you don't have a strong foundation, it's not going to stand. What is the foundation? It is Christ. Make a commitment to him today. And then put him right at the center of your marriage. Listen, the greatest challenge in your life might just be your marriage. And if that's not true today, it might be someday. But it can also be the single greatest source of growth, 
and grace and the most rewarding thing in your life. There's nothing, there's nothing worse than a bad marriage. But there's nothing better than a great one. And what you put into it is, what, is gonna be what you get out of it. And if both of you will love God with all of your heart, and if you'll both do what he tells you to do in marriage, man, you can have a beautiful, incredible, strong, healthy marriage, no matter what the past has been like. It's your choice. But before you commit your marriage to Christ, you have to commit your life to him. Listen, that's what we're here uh, for. That's what we're all about here at Coastal, is to point people to Jesus. And allow him not to, you know, listen, this is not a, some kind of self-help, you know, uh, group here where we just want you to be better people. You don't need to be a better person. You need to be a brand new person. And that comes through the resurrection, new life power of Jesus Christ. He doesn't want to make you better. He wants to make you brand new. And you can have that today. It's through faith your faith in Christ and what he did for you through his death, burial, and resurrection. He loves you and he wants you to come home. He's ready and willing to forgive you here and now. You just need to take that first step of faith. You can do that today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for your word. I thank you for, um, you know, those feelings that we do have of, romance and affection. And God, I thank you for all these different movies that we've looked at and had a little bit of fun with uh, over this series. And all of those feelings that we do have of affection and romance, God, ultimately, we get all that from you. But true love, it's something so much greater, something so much more beautiful and lasting. God, I pray for all of the, the marriages that are here in this room right now. I pray that we would all experience what you do desire for us in, in marriage. And God, I pray for those who are seeking that, those who are single, looking for that. God, I pray that they would uh, you know, listen to your voice, that they would be obedient and become the kind of person that you're calling them to be before they start looking for that person that, you know, to fill some sort of void or need in their life. I pray that they would find all that they need in you. And Father, we've all made mistakes in this area. And there are some that, you know, anytime we talk about marriage, they feel the, the pain and the guilt of their past. And God, I pray that, you know, what they would hear loud and clear is your great love for them. That, you know, the only, there, there's no sin, Father, that's too great that cannot be forgiven. There's no person that cannot be restored. There's no, uh, there's no, purpose, God, that can't be uh, given. And Father, I just pray right now that no matter the mistakes that we've all made, that we would be uh, drawn to you and your love for us today. Maybe there's somebody here now who's ready not just to commit their relationships to you, but they're ready to commit their very life to you. They're ready to come home, ready to receive that forgiveness, ready to be made brand new. Listen, if that's you, here and now, right now, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, just pour out your heart to God and say, Father, I do believe. I do want to come home. I have blown it in more ways than I 
can count in this way and so many other ways. I have run from you. I've rebelled against you. I've said terrible things about you. Father, forgive me. I believe. I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he went to a cross for me. I believe that my sin put him on that cross. I believe that death and power of of sin and, and this world could not contain him. And he rose from the dead to prove his power over sin and death and the grave. And he is alive. And I believe it. And for the rest of my days, God, I just want to I want to become more and more like you see me today, brand new, forgiven, clean, whole. I want to follow Jesus. I want to bask in your love and your grace, and I want my very life just to be an act of gratitude and worship. Father, we love you. We pray all these things today in the name of Jesus. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.